Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. to find out. Uh, this is a really, really fascinating passage. I'm so excited to preach it. My name's Ben. If I, if I haven't met you, if I don't know you yet, uh, welcome. So glad that you're here. And we are in the middle of a series that we've titled The King's Authority. We're learning all about the authority that Jesus has. And so far, we've learned that he, his teaching has an authority like no one else's teaching. He, his teaching stands on its own, and we've, we've learned that he has authority over disease, and that he has authority over all uncleanness. He's able to, to touch a leper, and the leper be cleansed and healed. We have learned that he has the authority to speak a word, and someone in another place can be healed. We've learned that he has complete authority over his disciples. He can tell them what to do, and they must do it. We've learned that he has authority over the wind and the waves, so over the weather. And so what we've seen thus far is that Jesus has authority over all of the physical, the visible world. And today, what we just heard uh, read and what we're going to be studying is that Jesus has authority also over the invisible world and complete authority at that. So that means he has authority over angels and demons, powers, principalities, over all that's unseen in this world. Um, and I think it's going to be a very uh, encouraging message for us. Some people, maybe some of you, don't want don't to pass judgment, but some people will hear that. They'll hear talk about angels, demons, an invisible realm, and immediately start to, to sort of shut that off or, um, or not believe it, right? We have a tendency in, at least within the West, within the modern world in the West, we have a tendency to disbelieve in the in invisible realm. We, we tend to think that only what can be seen and, um, and heard and felt and touched is real. But to, to not believe in an invisible world, an invisible realm, is, is to come at the Scriptures with a different worldview altogether than what Jesus had. It's to come, it's to come at the Scriptures or it's to come at your life with a completely different worldview from the Apostle Paul and a completely different way of seeing reality from the entirety of the Scriptures. Some of you may be familiar with uh, this story in 2 Kings 6, and Elisha, he's on this mountain, and he's with his servant, and the servant wakes up in the morning, he looks around, and he sees that they are surrounded by an army that's come there to arrest them. He comes to Elisha. He's freaked out. He's like, what are we supposed to do? And Elisha's like, don't worry. There's more with us than there are with them. And, and then he says, Lord, would you open up his eyes so he can see? And all of a sudden, he, his eyes are open, and he sees 
surrounding them, these angelic beings, these warriors, these, these horses and flaming chariots. And my prayer has been for us that our eyes would be opened, that we would see that there's so much more to reality than what we tend to think. So may the Lord do that for us today. May he open up our eyes to see more about what's really going on. Um, There is, in fact, an invisible world populated by spiritual beings, some good, some bad, angels, and then those that are fallen or rebelled against God that are called demons. The Bible has a good bit to say about these beings, even though they're not the main characters of Scripture. Um, And so it's important for us to understand a little bit about it. And that's basically what today is. I, I have one, one sermon that I, my goal is to try and, and just give you an overview. I, there's so much I want to talk about regarding these things because I've been studying uh, this a good bit and it's, and it's so helpful. Um, and so if you're interested, you want to talk more, you have some questions afterwards, come talk to me. I would love to chat more about this. Um, but uh, let's pray, and then we will, we will dive in. Father, Lord, there really is more to this world than meets the eye. And, and I'm just reminded that even in this room right now, we're not the only ones here. Um, I, I imagine that there's a lot going on that we can't see, that we're unaware of. Um, and Father, my, my request this morning is that um, angels and demons wouldn't get glory this morning, but that your son Jesus would get glory, that, that our eyes would be ultimately fixed on him, that we would ultimately see how great he is, um, and that also, Lord, you would equip us today, that, that we could come away a little bit less ignorant of the enemy's schemes, um, a little bit more informed, and, and certainly, Lord, that we would come away today more eager to submit to the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, the one whose name, at his name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess um, that he is the Lord. It's in his name, in the name of Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. So, the way that I the way that I want to look at this passage is I want to start out by just identifying some things that we know to be true about demons or fallen angels, and um, I'm actually I want to look at a couple of other passages um, outside of this one just to help us to get a little bit more of a broad scriptural view of what these things are, these demons that Jesus encounters. Um, Then we'll come back to the passage. We'll look at a few things that we can learn from this passage about demons. Then I want to look at a few things that the demons know about Jesus. And that's how we're going to kind of end this up. We're, uh, We're going to end the sermon looking at what do the demons know to be true about Jesus, and therefore what can we take away based upon what they know 
about him. So that's it. We're going to look at first, what are some things, uh, five things to be specific, that we know about these demons? Because it starts out uh, telling us, and when they came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, to demon-possessed men, or demonized is the literal word there in the, in the Greek, demonized men or demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs uh, so fierce that no one could pass that way. So the, here's the first thing that I want to look at. So keep your, keep your finger here and then flip over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Here's the first thing that I want us to see about these, um, these demons. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul says this. If you have been around uh, the scriptures for very long, you've probably heard this passage, read this passage. It's about spiritual warfare. And Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Here's the first thing I want us to know about demons. These fallen angels have some authority. Okay? Just like human beings were given authority when we were created. The Bible says that uh, God made Adam and Eve, he placed them in a garden, he gives them dominion, he gives them authority over all of the earth, the plants of the earth, the ground, he gives them authority over all of the animals, that's the human's realm of authority. And then we fell, we rebelled, and, and God didn't take away our dominion yet, right? He, he, he left us in our place of authority and dominion, even in our fallen state. Well, it appears that the same thing happened with these spiritual beings when they fell. They are referred to by Paul as rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. They're not, they didn't once have power. They, they, they currently, over this present darkness, they, they are rulers, authorities, um, and spiritual forces in the heavenly places. So um, that's, that's one thing that we need to know. They, they have some authority, and therefore... Their realm, even though it's invisible, directly affects ours. And that's why Paul is saying, we don't wrestle. You think you wrestle against people. You think it's against that, you know, that political ideology that you're wrestling. You're actually, there is something bigger there happening. You, you think you're, you're wrestling against that, that boss that's treating you unfairly. There's something behind the scenes that you don't see, Right? There, there's more going on than meets the eye. You think you've just got the case of a prodigal child when actually there's more happening that's unseen. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but there are spiritual things at work affecting, directly affecting our world. So it's important for us to understand this. The second thing that's important for us to understand is that these, these angelic beings these, that we now call demons, they have turned away from God in rebellion. All right? We're going to look at another passage from the New Testament, Jude. Jude is a short little book right before Revelation. Um, 
It's just one chapter. But in Jude chapter 1, verse 6, here's what it says. It says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. We don't fully know. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what it means that he's kept them under this gloomy darkness and eternal chains. Um, Peter refers to this same idea. We're just not exactly sure what that means, but we do know this. These angels that we now call demons, the ones that have fallen, they left their position of authority. They did something that was out of line. They, 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 weren't, they didn't like being under the authority that they were under. And this is what is at the heart of all rebellion. It's not wanting to remain in our proper position of authority. And it's exactly what happened to the demons. They didn't stay in their proper position of authority. Either So this is either an unwillingness to submit to the authority above you, or it's a desire to, to reach out and grab and take some authority that hasn't been given to you. But nonetheless, these angels are rebellious. They, they did not remain in their proper position of authority. They, they rebelled against their creator. This is, what, this is why they're often referred to as unclean spirits. You'll see that in, in many places in the New Testament that these are referred to as unclean spirits. It's because sin makes us unclean. Aaron actually uh, talked about that when we talked about Jesus healing the, the leper and leprosy being a picture of our sin making us unclean. So these are unclean spirits. All right, the third thing that we can know about demons. Um, their authority has not yet been revoked. Their authority has not yet been revoked. Uh, the word Satan means the adversary, and he is the, the leader of this rebellious uh, group of fallen angels. And they're their group is called the Domain of Darkness. And what Scripture teaches is that this Domain of Darkness envelops the whole world. This is, um, this is what is referred to in 2 Corinthians 4.4 when Satan is referred to as the lowercase g, God of this world. And in 1 John 5.19, it says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is really important worldview stuff here. If you don't understand this, if you don't grasp this, you will be, you will, you will be taken captive very easily. Because your tendency will be to trust and, and to think that the world is generally good and there's just a few bad apples in it and we can basically trust, you know, everything. The systems of the world, the, the media, the government, all of these things, they can basically be trusted. There's just a few bad apples in the bunch. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all of humanity, apart from Christ, is completely corrupted. 
completely corrupted, completely selfish, totally rebellious against God. And the reason is that because when human beings turned away from God's command in the garden and listened to the voice of Satan, they're listening to the leader of this rebellious domain. They essentially stepped out of the authority of God and under his domain. And so... The entire world remains for the time, right now, under the power of the evil one, 1 John 5, 19. And that is an important truth to understand in order to protect you, in order to make you discerning in this current evil age. Over this present darkness, there is an authority called Satan. Satan has demons under him. These are the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Rulers, authorities, principalities. These are the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And um, we see this elsewhere in the Bible. This isn't, this isn't just isolated to a couple of places. We see this in the book of Daniel. So in the book of Daniel, there's uh, a messenger angel from God that's coming to Daniel, and on his way to him, he, says, he tells Daniel that he, was, that he was hindered, he was stopped by the prince of Persia, prince meaning ruler, the ruler over Persia was warring against this messenger angel, stopping him. And so then he had to call for help, call for backup, and then, and then uh, Michael comes, and he helps Gabriel to get, get free. So this is, this is in Scripture. It's several places in Daniel that talks about that idea, this concept, that there are these rulers over nations, peoples, regions. One of the, one of the reasons that's so important for us to understand this what we might tend to think is that it's just Satan worshipers who are under the authority of Satan. Or it's just the, the witch doctors, it's just those people that are just so clearly given to darkness that are under the authority of Satan. And then there's like the autonomous people, they're not under anybody, they're secular people. You know, autonomous, neutral. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. We, we fool ourselves when we think that we can go off and go our own way and be our own God. That's exactly what Satan wants people to think while he rules them. This demoniac that we see in this passage is a picture of a caricature almost of what ultimately comes of a person who is under Satan's rule, but everyone under his rule doesn't look like that. They often look like university professors or doctors or lawyers or church members. And their God is their belly, the scriptures say. Their own desires 
That's exactly what God, that's exactly what Satan wants people under him to serve their own desires. That's what it's talking about when Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Every single person in this world not under the authority of Christ has a spirit of disobedience in them. And so did every one of us. This is so important for us to understand so that we can see our world correctly, discerningly. Every person outside of Christ is following the prince of the power of the air, regardless of whether or not they know it. In other words, we might think we are the captain of our own vessel, We might think that we're living by our own rules, and the reality is every single person is either under the domain of darkness or in the kingdom of the sun. That's it. Those are the only two options. And so, we know that these demons, they have some authority still. What else do we know? Let's, let's look at our passage here in, in Matthew 8. Um, I've got to move through these kind of quickly so I have time. Verse 31 says, And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. Apparently, demons need um, a living body to inhabit. So they can enter into people or they can enter into animals and influence them. If you've ever met a cat, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> some, some people hate me right now. That's okay. Um, so, so, this is what a huge portion of Jesus' ministry is devoted to, is going around and... and removing these spirits from people because they've entered into people. They're influencing them. So, um, so he casts them out. He takes authority and he says, you've got to go. Um, he also eventually gives that authority to his disciples. Did you know, Christian, that you have authority over demons? Yeah. There are other ways that a demon can influence a person. Um, a demon can, remember, it's, it's the word demonized. It's not always possession. I mean, the word, it uses the word possessed in this situation because it's clear this person is full of demons. Uh, the, the, the account of the same story in Mark and in Luke tell us that there are a legion, like thousands of demons inside um, at least one of these two guys. The other two accounts focus on one of these two guys. Um, 
So they can enter in, but, but it's not just entering in, it's, it's influence. We know that Satan can tempt, that he can take desires that you already have in your flesh, and he can use those desires. And so here's the thing about, about demons and, and their interaction with us. Just because a demon is at work to influence you does not mean that you get a pass as though you're not responsible. The Bible says that Satan entered into Judas Iscariot in order to uh, cause him, to influence him to betray Jesus. But we know from the scriptures that Judas will be standing responsible for his actions. Because Satan didn't go in and create some desire inside of Judas that wasn't already there. James 1 talks about this. That the way that Satan works is he comes and he uses your own desires to lure you away and entice you. So Judas already wanted more money than God was giving him. He was already greedy. He already didn't really respect Jesus the way that he ought to. And so Satan just went in there and he used those already the sins that were already inside him and lured him away to do what he wanted him to do. Demons can, um, it says that, that in, in uh, I can't remember which, maybe Luke, it says that the demons caused this, this one guy to cut himself with stones. Demons, ha- they want to cause you to self-destruct. When you see someone in a cycle of self-destruction, that's the work of demons. Demons hate God. They hate, and they hate people because we were made in His image. They, they despise the image of God in us. And I think it's the reason that, the, that these guys are living in the tombs. The only people they want to be around are dead people. It's the only kind of person they like. Their, their goal is to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. They want to destroy your life. And so, demonic activity is self-destruction. Um, it says they're so fierce that no one can pass that way. So, demonic activity is, is violent. It's violent. Demons uh, can influence people by making them sick. There's several people in the Gospels that Jesus casts demons out of, and it heals them. It's not to say that every sickness is a, is a demon, but it can be. Um, all right, next thing that we see about the way that demons work. Demons, this is my last thing that, this is point number five on things that we can understand about demons. We, we know that demons like to isolate their victims. Again, this, this, these demon-possessed guys are living among the tombs. And um, in Luke's account, it says that the demon uh, this, of this one in particular guy would, would drive him out into the desert. Let's get away from every single person. Demons want to isolate you. Why? Because in the very beginning, in the, in the creation account, the Bible says that it is not good for us to be alone. And so, if that's true, the demons want to get us alone. They also know the powerful truth of Hebrews 3.13 that says, but exhort everyone, exhort one another, sorry, every day, 
as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. They know that if they can get you alone where no one can exhort you, you can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is, uh, this is an, a very crucial thing for us to remember in, in a time of a pandemic, right? Because we're all a little bit more isolated than typical. And so we've got to go the extra mile to be connected to one another. We've got to fight for relationship, fight for connectedness in this isolated season. Because, not because demons necessarily are behind um, quarantines, but because demons for sure take advantage of quarantines. Just like demons may not be behind every single night that I get let way less sleep than I wanted to get, but they for sure will take advantage of the nights that I got way less sleep than I wanted to get. They will take advantage of your tiredness, of the fact that you had to work a 14-hour day. They may not have created that, but they'll jump on it. All right, now I want us to switch to the second half of this sermon I don't know how I'm doing on time. I think I'm okay. <laughs> I, I forgot to start my timer. Okay. Um, what do demons know about Jesus? What do they know about him? I'm going to show us uh, four things. Look at verse 29. Behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Look at verse 31. And the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. Oh, man, I, there's so many things I want to say here. I'm going to try and keep this to my notes. Look at the first thing that they know. They know Jesus is the Son of God. They know he is the Son of God. What's interesting is, at this point, if you go back one story, in, uh, when, when Jesus calms the storm, his disciples are still confused about the identity of Jesus. But the demons, oh, they know. There's no question. Because think about this. Colossians 1 tells us that everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created for him and by him. So when these demons encounter him, they are coming face to face with their creator. They know who he is. There's no question. Second thing, they know he has the authority to do whatever he wants with them. Look at verse 29. Have you come to torment us before the time He could do whatever he wants. They know it's not the time yet, and yet they also know he could do it if he wanted. He could do whatever he wants with his creation. Up until this point, no human interaction, no human interference could stop these demons. It says in, uh, in Mark and in Luke that, that they had tried 
to bind these guys up with chains and shackles, and they would just break the chains apart and break the shackles off. No one could bind them. Why? Because they're trying to stop something that was a spiritual power by using their earthly physical means. They didn't have the authority to stop the demons. Their chains and shackles didn't have the authority. They needed a greater authority to step in. And so when Jesus Christ comes onto the scene, now all of a the sudden, these powerful, fierce men, terrifying men that no one could bind, come sprinting to him and fall on their knees in front of him. What a picture of the authority and power of Jesus Christ. He has full authority, full authority to do whatever he pleases, and not only in this visible realm, but in the spiritual realm as well. Here's a key point here, is that with His presence comes the authority. With His presence comes His authority. Now, He has His authority. He has authority over, over all, at all times. But it's when He steps onto the scene that He exercises His authority. Now, before Jesus got there, these demons were having a heyday, doing whatever they wanted with this guy. And then, then what does it say in verse 28? And when he came to the other side, they come falling down at his feet. Where he, where he goes, his authority comes with him, always. Wherever he is, his authority is exercised. And so you say, well, then how is it that people crucified him? It's a good question. The answer is because he said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. Why did he have to lay it down? Because if he hadn't laid it down, no one would have been able to touch him. Make no mistake about it, throughout his trial and throughout the entire time he hung on the cross, he was in complete authority, allowing himself, allowing himself to be killed. Wherever he is, his authority is exercised. This is really, really crucial for us to understand. You see, the demons clearly got this. When, when, Je when Jesus shows up, they say, what have you to do with us? What they're saying is, what are you going to do with us? We know that by the very fact that you're here, it means we can't go on doing what we were doing. Just by the fact that you stepped onto the shore, 
Just by the fact that you are in our vicinity means I can't go on doing what I wanted to do. I must ask you for permission. And that gives us a glimpse into what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. If we want his presence, then it means that it comes with his authority. I think this is the crux of why so many people are still bound up by sin. They think that they're Christians. They think that they are a disciple of Jesus because they want to sprinkle Jesus on top of their life. They want to add a little Jesus onto what they were already doing. And it just doesn't ever work that way. When Jesus comes on the scene, he brings his authority with him. If we want him, if we want his presence in our lives, then it means we do exactly as he commands. To the best of our ability. And we do this imperfectly, right? And his grace covers and forgives. But it is still our desire. And if it isn't our desire, then don't expect his presence in your life. I remember a quote from A.W. Tozer. He used to say, he will either be Lord of all or he will not be Lord at all. When he comes into a life, he brings his authority with him. When he steps on the scene, he brings his authority with him. All right, I want us to look at Mark, Mark's account of this. Mark chapter 5. As we wrap this thing up. It's interesting, all the accounts talk about people or the demons begging Jesus. You see that repeated. Um, The demons beg Jesus, then the people of the the Gadarenes beg Jesus, and then what we we find out in Mark is that the, the delivered man begs Jesus. What are they begging? Well, in Mark 5.10, you have the demons, and they're saying, and it says, um, through the man, that he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. So they're begging Jesus for permission. Don't send us out. They begged him in verse 12, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. And then in verse 15, it says this. All the people hear about what happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. It's interesting. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they begged. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. Here's what we have here. I just want to help paint a picture of what's what's happened. The demonized man, the demon-possessed man, 
was a man under the domain of darkness, ruled by Satan, which, as I hopefully have convinced you, all of us were, and every single person outside of Christ is. He was ruled by Satan, and Jesus comes on the scene, and with him comes his authority. His kingdom advances everywhere he goes. And his authority demands. His authority is a greater authority than the domain of darkness. And so when Jesus steps onto the scene, when he encounters these men full of demons, the demons aren't, they're not yelling out to Satan for help. They know that would do no good. The one with all authority in heaven and on earth is there. There's no one that can help them. Their only option is submit. Beg for mercy. And Jesus delivers this guy, and this guy goes, he's transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son, as Colossians 1 says. And now, now, the thing that he is begging for is to be with Jesus. And he knows, he knows that Jesus is in control. He knows Jesus is Lord. He knows that that means he's going to have to do whatever Jesus says. But that's still what he wants more than anything. The last thing he wants is to go back to the domain of darkness. And when we are in our right mind, like this man, when we're in our right mind, the last thing we want is to go back to the domain of darkness or to practice the activity of the domain of darkness. Many of us think that we can live within the kingdom of the sun and practice the activities of the domain of darkness. No. Look at what, look at what Jesus says. He says, it says, he didn't permit him. But he said to him, go, to your, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away, began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Look at the lordship of Jesus. He is giving orders. No, you go back to your friends. What's interesting about that is they were the very people who just rejected him and said, get out of here. And he has such mercy. He says, go back to them and be a witness to them. He doesn't leave them alone. He continues to pursue through a different way. You see this contrast. Under the domain of darkness, under the the authority of Satan, this this man is out of his mind, self-destructing, isolating, drawn to death. Under the authority of Jesus, he's clothed, he's seated, which means he's resting, he's not anxious, he's trusting. He's not worried that Satan's going to come back with his demons. Why? Because one with all authority now owns him. He's his. He belongs to Jesus. He is safe. He's clothed, which means 
His new king is providing for him, taking care of him, and he's in his right mind. Nothing could lure him back to what he's come from. So, I want to I finish with this. If you're afflicted by demons, how do you get free? How do you get free? And the answer is you need a new king. So, first, you repent. You need to repent. You need to, you need to reject the activity of the domain of darkness. The rebellion that you were a part of. You need to reject that, all of it. And then, secondly, you need to submit yourself to and embrace a new king. That's where the name of this church comes from. Not because Jesus is, is a new king, but because we are a people of a new king. We were once a people who served the domain of darkness, and we are now loyal to a good and gracious and merciful and powerful king. And we want to invite others to come and know him and be set free as well. So turn to Jesus, trust him, submit to his authority, and no power of darkness will be able to touch you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow to you. Lord, we see that your power is unrivaled. Your authority is unmatched. There, this is not a fair fight between your kingdom and the domain of darkness. Not even close. Lord, we see in the book of Job that even Satan must come for permission before he can even touch a life. He's a lion that prowls around, but he's a lion on a leash. And Lord, you have all authority in heaven and on earth, and we see that there is no place safer in all of the cosmos than to be submitted to you at your feet, doing your will, trusting you. And so, Lord, would you help us to trust and obey the, the theme of this entire series, trust and obey. Lord, help us to want your authority more than we want our autonomy, which is, which is a mirage. Help us to submit to you, to trust you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.